Welcome to The Pipeline, all things CICD and DevOps podcast by the CD Foundation. I am your host, Jacqueline Salinas, and today we have a panel joining us for episode three. In today's episode, we are going to be focused on the topic of interoperability. Every organization often employs more than one tool in various stages of their CICD pipeline due to different capabilities provided by the tools, and this is perhaps one of the biggest benefits users get by using open technologies for their CICD needs. However, one of the challenges users face is the lack of interoperability across the CICD tools and technologies, resulting in various issues while constructing and running pipelines such as passing metadata and artifacts between the tools or achieving traceability from commit to deploy. Often users end up building their own glue code to address what is a common problem, further complicating moving from one tool to another and adopting new technologies and methodologies. These glue code solutions are generally specific to users' needs and tools rather than being loosely coupled and agnostic to tooling and technology. Additionally, these solutions are not visible to other users and the communities, making them vulnerable to the risk of outage in their CICD pipelines due to potential changes that happen to the tools in respective projects. Therefore, focusing on tool interoperability is critical. The Continuous Delivery Foundation highlighted interoperability as one of the foundation's nine strategic goals. The Interoperability Special Interest Group was founded as the forum for driving towards this goal. In episode three, the panelists that join me are Cara de Lamarck. Cara is CloudBee's open source community manager. Previously, Cara worked as a developer for a Fortune 500 company and as a freelancer. She's a proponent of open source and has contributed to Pandas, Babel, and Jagger, amongst others. As an organizer and board director of Codebar.io, Cara works to increase diversity in the tech industry. She is passionate about making technology accessible and building welcoming tech communities. Next, we have Fatih Dermagenci. Fatih is a principal developer at Ericsson Software Technology. He is specialized in automation, CICD, DevOps and infrastructure, and currently involved in several large-scale CICD activities across Ericsson and within the open source community. He served in the OPNFV Technical Steering Committee as a committer at large representative and led OPNFV release engineering project. Before moving to his current role, Fatih worked in 5G and took an active part in implementing CI and CD, paving the way for continuous deployment. Prior to Ericsson, he worked for Havelson Inc. and provided expertise to its customers such as Boeing and BAE Systems. Today, we also have Deepak joining us from Puppet. He is CTO and has been with the company since 2011 and has led their long-term technical strategy. He has also overseen the development of nearly every major product in Puppet's portfolio, including Puppet Enterprise, Puppet DB. Bolt, Wash, and Relay. Deepak brings nearly 20 years of experience creating new products, building engineering teams, and operating infrastructure. Prior to Puppet, he was an early engineer at Dell Message One, helping architect and operate their hosted products. Deepak has a particular fondness for functional programming, autonomous systems, novel programming languages, 1980s and 1999, excuse me, 1990s cartoons, and just about every action movie ever made. 
Welcome, everyone. Let me jump into my DevOps journey. Uh, Kara, how did you get started in DevOps? I, so after having worked as a developer for a few years, I had felt the pain of, of DevOps. And when I was contacted to join the Jenkins X project, I thought that the project itself was incredibly interesting and innovative. And it fascinated me enough that I kind of switched from being a developer to working, so being an application developer, to working more on the DevOps side of things. Where the continuity was, was that I had been very interested in open source previously, and I'd also really enjoyed doing community work. So I now work as the community manager at CloudBees with the Jenkins X project. And it's been a very nice transition for me because it allows me to do many of the things I enjoy doing while continually learning. So when I first joined the project, I was trying to, you know, quickly get to grips with it, learn as much as I could. And I watched a lot of the talks that were available at the time. And one of them that really struck me was by James Strachan, who was one of the leaders and founders of the project. And he had said, getting familiar with Jenkins X and learning about Jenkins X is going to help people ideally learn more about Kubernetes. And that was very attractive to me at the time. Very cool. Fatih, how did you get started in DevOps? I, I originally was a C C plus developer and developing software for uh, defense systems. And over time, uh, I moved more automation-like position when I joined Ericsson around 2006. And I was part of a team who developed a tool named Background Builder and CI or CD or DevOps terms weren't really this famous or DevOps term wasn't even invented at that point in time. But the tool we were responsible developing, this background builder tool, was like a CI CD tool building uh, code checked in by our developers to our SCM system clear case in the background and sending uh, results of their uh, code tests back to them. And this was my first step to CI CD, to be honest. And I enjoyed working in this area, automation, CI CD, and helping developers or enabling the developers. I continued on this journey. And over time, when the DevOps movement started uh, happening everywhere, I really started getting my hands on all these different tools and technologies, and more importantly, the social aspects of DevOps and helping the teams with regards to how they can be more fast or they can be faster and push the code faster and get their new features deploy it to production faster. And then I moved to open source and started working, contributing to Linux Foundation projects like Open Platform Network Functions Virtualization. And then it actually showed me that CICD or DevOps in general is really crucial for both corporations and for communities to really embrace and move things faster, much faster than before. So that's how I end up in DevOps domain. Very cool. Thank you. And Deepak, what was your journey like? Oh my goodness. Well, uh, I've been into, I don't know, I've been writing code for a really long time, probably since maybe second grade or something. But um, 
so I've always been kind of a mega nerd, I suppose. Uh, and this will probably date me, uh, but I graduated from university right around the dot-com bust. Uh, so at my first real job, like the first startup I was at, folded after about six weeks. So that was a glorious time. Um, and my first real job, uh, because employment opportunities were pretty sp- uh, hard to come by, I would say, in the U.S. right around 2000, 2001 in tech. Uh, so I ended up actually working for a government research laboratory for about four or five years in a room, in a very sad room with World War II surplus furniture with no windows, just typing all day. Um, but it was interesting because the projects that they would have going on were kind of, uh, it was planet scale before people started just turning that into sort of an empty marketing term. Like it was literally geospatial analysis for geospatial researchers or global positioning systems and things like that. So that was really cool. But at that era, all of the computational power that made all of that stuff work was primarily like supercomputing clusters. So these large, giant, just racks and racks and racks of machines and systems and servers. Um, So that was kind of my first exposure to, I suppose, the discipline of systems engineering, because back then, a lot of it was an outgrowth of supercomputing facilities and a lot of academic kind of knowledge and academic settings tended to be where all those large infrastructures actually were. So, you know, the economy picks back up again, and then I go back and join the startup world because that's, I think, uh, the pace I tend to enjoy. and just ended up working in places where there was always this element of scale required in order to make the business work. Uh, And if you have to make your business work by having more stuff, more gear, more processing, more storage, then automation has to play a pretty critical role. I mean, you're not gonna hire your way into being an efficient business there, right? Um, So I think that was the beginning of uh, DevOps, I think. I was pretty early on uh, at Puppet and even before that, that the configuration management community was pretty nascent at the time, tools like CF Engine and stuff. And DevOps days was just starting to happen over in uh, in Europe. Uh, so, you know, I was involved in a lot of those conferences over there. Um, and as time has gone on, you know, I've just kind of stayed in that space. And really, I think the parts of it that interest me uh, is this weird duality where Internally, like in my heart of hearts, I'm a builder because uh, I build a lot of stuff and I love all the plumbing and I love all the tools. And yet the older I get, the more I uh, have kind of come over to this side of the house where it's less about the plumbing and the tools. And it's more about how can you get this stuff in the hands of the people that need it the most? So sort of Main Street IT. Um, and that tends to be where I've been spending more of my time uh, lately. But I think the the bar is low. That's either terrible terrifying or that's really uh, fertile ground, I think, for all all of us to collaborate and make things better for people. Maybe a little bit of both. Well, thank you so much for all your efforts. Um, So now as we we shift focus on the topic of interoperability, especially tool interoperability, um, which we know is critical, the CD Foundation has highlighted this as one of the nine strategic goals um, that was defined by the governing board last year. Um, Fatih, you lead the special interest group, um, which is, you know, their main goal is to figure out how do we do this. Um, And our first question is... Why did you believe that we needed to have this special interest group? Um, and can you also elaborate on what you guys are focused on for 2020? Well, uh, I think uh, I need to go back in time a bit to uh, give some history about why I believe 
the focus in interoperability is crucial for uh, the communities because the idea to propose formation of interoperability special interest group didn't happen like light bulb turning on top of my head like how it happens in cartoons it's actually a result of years of work and as i mentioned i have been working in different communities contributing to those communities and one of those communities is this project called open platform form function and network functions virtualization which is under linux foundation networking umbrella the open project uh, was kind of a unique open source project when it was founded around second half of 2014 and it wasn't really created to develop a new technology like OpenStack or kubernetes and so on the purpose of this OpenMV project was to integrate all these different technologies developed by different communities and realize telecom etsy nfv architecture so in the end the OpenMV project was and still is an integration project and the aim with the project is like pulling all these components technologies such as infrastructure as a service or software defined networking or containers and compose different scenarios and see if things work together and in this perspective, it is really unique project. And I think this project was the first project really highlighting the need in cross-community integration across open source ecosystem. And we were aware of difficulties when it comes to how to integrate these different technologies because it wasn't really focused at that point in time, six, five, six years ago. When we start this journey, we put a lot of effort into CI/CD because it is nearly impossible to integrate all these different technologies together manually. And I tried, I failed, so don't try. And when we started establishing our CI/CD, we realized that we need to hook into CI/CD systems of all these different communities, OpenStack and later on CNCF, OpenDaylight, and so on. But the CI/CD systems of these communities were, weren't really built for cross-community type of CI/CD activities. And another problem we faced was that the communities were using different tools and technologies to bring up their CI/CD systems. So when we started establishing CI/CD system for OpenFV, we needed to hook into different uh, systems from upstream upstream community CI/CD systems. And those CI/CD systems weren't really built for running cross-community CI/CD efforts or activities because of differences in what they are doing in their CI/CD environments or the tools and technologies they were using to bring up those systems. And we realized that it is impossible to solve this as a PNV community. So we start talking to these different communities and put a question in front of them, explaining what are our challenges and how we can solve the interoperability problems at that point in time, four or five years ago. And this actually made everyone aware of this problem because if you look at the open source ecosystem, most of the open source projects actually working with certain tools and technologies, such as cloud native, such as software defined networking. But there is there was really small focus on this cross community or cross-organizational CICD environments or processes. And when we started talking with these communities, the patterns started emerging and everyone starting, okay, how we can address this interoperability problems together. And then we started various initiatives named cross-community CI and open CI and started working 
on these interoperability problems at that point in time. And when Continuous Data Foundation was established last year, MNRA Foundation hosts the major CICD tools and technologies such as Spinnaker, Jenkins, Tecton, and Jenkins X. And it is important for us as users to talk to those projects, start dealing with interoperability. So long story short, the roots of the SIG goes back at least five years. And some of the current members of the SIG is actually coming from the earlier efforts mm. because we believe that it is important for us to approach this problem as a community rather than individuals or companies or standalone projects. So that's the story. Thank you. That it does have a long history. And Kara, shifting over to what 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 is the approach that what is the approach towards interoperability for tools like Jenkins X? Okay. Great. I can I answer this in one second, but I wanted to ask Fatih and maybe Deepak. I wanted to ask, since we're we're part of the interoperability SIG, has the SIG defined its terms in terms of like integration, extension, interoperability? Are we differentiating? How are we differentiating between those terms? Because in your answer, Fatih, you you spoke a lot about integration and then interoperability. And I feel like the way in which the terms are used to my ears often blurs. And that might be me not having a precise understanding. And I was wondering if we had made that definition for the CDF. For the well, I, I think this is a great question because like when, when you uh, talk to people uh, on interoperability topic or integration topic, it's not really clear what does it really mean. And this was clear for us as well when we proposed the formation of the SIG to CDF Technical Oversight Committee. And the discussion happened under that pull request as well. And we are actually defining what interoperability means while we are working with actual problems. Because when you talk to one person, that person sees interoperability as an integration problem. When you talk to another person, that person doesn't think about integration, but looks interoperability in more like textbook term. So we are still on our way to identify what it actually means for CICD domain. Yeah, I think the, the obviously, I think Fatih is more authoritative on the semantics of the terminology. I think uh, for my part, I, I think as a practical matter, like, you know, I don't necessarily distinguish, I guess, between interop and integration. Integration, I suppose, in a lot of tech circles has a very clear definition around like, I have two things and I want to literally connect them to each other. Like I want to integrate them. And I think that's cool. Uh, but I think that's actually less interesting to me than the more like um, standards that allow for work that people are doing within the auspices of one tool. Uh, how can you leverage that work within the auspices of a different tool? So if I define a pipeline in one place, why do I have to redefine that in another place? How can I uh, connect together steps uh, from one CICD tool with steps that are defined in the API frameworks for a completely different one? Can events connect together from those things? Can the ecosystem be something that is shared across multiple tools, right? I think probably most of us are working with these tools. And I think it's, to me, I think any individual tool uh, in this space, the value of it is greatly enhanced if the community and ecosystem of content around it is greater, 
right? Like the utility of these things, I think, is directly proportional to how much pre-existing content there can be and how easy it is for people to write new stuff. So if you have to redo that every single time, you end up with these just weird silos of every tool becomes an island, right? And I have scar tissue about this just given the early days in the configuration management space where everyone was trying so hard to jockey for their tools particular religion and dogma about how to do things this is how plugins should be written this is how an ecosystem should work and i think in retrospect that ended up probably holding back the adoption of that class of tooling in general more than it helped so i think interoperability here i think is is huge right i think we're dealing with a lot of tools that are the de facto standards right but i think actually expanding those to be more literal standards that people can leverage to kind of make their lives easier. I think I think that's like a rising tide that's going to lift all our boats. So I'm I'm very interested in it. Um, can I jump in here because thank you for this perfect explanation, Deepak. And I didn't want to use the word standard on purpose because when people hear the word standard, they are a bit, you know, yeah, they freak and, out. Yeah, because open source communities are more about hacking stuff or doing stuff. And standards, when you talk about standards, some people, which I respect their response, but they kind of take themselves a bit out of the conversation. So that's why I am personally not trying to push this or that at this phase. And over time, this will settle. And I think community will need to go to that common or shared understanding together. So that's, yeah. Yep. Excellent point. Kara, anything else to add to that conversation? No, I very much enjoyed listening to that. <laughs> Thank you both. Um, I will, I'm happy to answer the question on Jenkins X. Yeah, so um, what is the approach towards interoperability for tools like Jenkins X? For Jenkins X, the way in which we approach interoperability really has to do with how we define interoperability specifically to Jenkins X. And that's why I asked that question. So for us, it's really a question of integration with other tools and extending, I guess, Jenkins X functionality with other third-party tools. So Jenkins X itself, is a full CI/CD solution. It's a CI/CD platform built on Kubernetes, and it's Kubernetes native. So we really use the Kubernetes platform in terms of like when Jenkins X itself is built, we're using Kubernetes primitives. We use the Kubernetes API. When we integrate with other tools, that is also how we're doing that process. So Jenkins X is extended through using Kubernetes like CRDs and and that is, and then that is how Jenkins X is building out this whole full lifecycle management tool. And what Jenkins X does is it bundles together a number of you know best in breed open source tools, enabling this modern development workflow on Kubernetes. And it will set up tools like Scaffold and Canico to build your container images. And internally, then we use Tekton to run our pipelines. And we have our own open source tool, Lighthouse, which integrates with our SCMs. So this enables you to have a whole rich set of like interactions around your GitOps workflow and enables you to manage your Kubernetes applications lifecycle in a best practices GitOps-based way. And what that means more specifically is that when we, Jenkins X integrates with other tools, we extend the functionality of Jenkins X through the Jenkins X, for example, the apps framework. And 
what what we do is it can take actually any Helm, Helm file for a third-party application, and then you can use the Jenkins X commands, add app, uh, resource flag, and you point to your repository that's holding that chart for that application. And what Jenkins X will do is it will create the pull requests for you and create some some metadata around Jenkins X application, but using that Helm chart information. So it needs the name, the version number, and the source repository for that Helm chart. And then it can use that when you then merge that pull request into your, your applications repository for the application you're running, it will then the Jenkins X machinery using Kubernetes will pick up that change in your desired state and apply that to your cluster. So the way in which Jenkins X does interoperability is really as much as possible using the Kubernetes platform. Got it. Deepak, similar question, but for Relay or, or for Puppet, I guess, how is Puppet approaching interoperability for tools like Relay or how does, how does that happen over at Puppet? Well, I mean, I think we... Uh... I will back up and I will say, you know, like I'm, I'm CTO there, so I guess I get to make statements like this. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think any small company is ever going to be able to succeed based on the assumption that they're going to build all the content for everything out there. Like, that's just insanity, right? Like, there's so many different things out there. There's so many different tools, so many different variations of things that people have, different deployment models, stuff running on-prem, stuff running hosted. It's, it's you know, it's the tech equivalent of, like, the breakfast cereal aisle at my grocery store. Well, maybe not now during the pandemic. Maybe there's a run on breakfast cereal. But um, there's it's just this embarrassment of choices. So I think in, in that world, there's no choice but to enable the, user base to more easily scratch their own itch and allow them as well to enable others, right? Like through the transitive property of, I suppose, open source community, right? Like how many people I can personally enable to participate in a community is fairly limited. But if I can enable 10 people and they themselves can enable 10 other people, then suddenly the numbers start to really add up. Um, and, you know, I guess maybe uh, it's a positive kind of contagion, right? <laughs> it's a contagion. I would love there to be a pandemic of user enablement. That's what I want. I want everybody to be contagious and infect everybody with the desire to easily contribute to some of these things. Um, I think that's the only way that these tools will be able to get the coverage that we want. I mean, I think part of the reason why Puppet has been successful is that we've tried to make it really easy for people to extend it to apply to whatever they're actually running and whatever their weird version of it you know we don't think it's odd that people are doing something weird i, I honestly i expect it now <laughs> everything's weird in it everything's a snowflake and everything everyone has a one-off right um so I, I think the way i think about interoperability is really one of leverage right like does a user of any of this group of tools like what kind of leverage do we give them or are we sending them down some rabbit hole that's just very siloed and very specific to a single tool and none of that information is recon can be recontextualized or parlayed into doing something else. Um, how much leverage are we as community members or as authors of some of these tools, how much leverage are we getting out of the community? I think it's important that it's mutually beneficial, right? Um, 
so I, I think the way to make that happen is by having it so that these pieces of functionality that aren't necessarily super differentiating for any individual tool, right? Like, uh, for example, with Puppet or with Relay, I don't know that I, my company is not going to live or die based on the quality of my integration with some random third-party SaaS API, right? Um, therefore, uh, if content existed that allowed people to automate around that API, I would love to have it. <laughs> and I, it doesn't hurt me to share it, right? Like we all, we all benefit, I think, from that. So I think interoperability is huge, uh, I think, is, is just, it's a super important form of leverage. And I think the market has spoken about how much they value having that kind of leverage available to them. Uh, I hope we're on the decline of that era of these very highly vertically integrated, super proprietary infrastructure stacks that everyone has to get super deep into, but none of that knowledge is transferable outside of that one stack, right? I think people have gravitated more towards uh, open systems, you know, and if they're not literal standards, they're at least you can see the code. There's a community around it. There's more transparency in how these things operate. Um, I think those are the companies and projects that are going to succeed ultimately. The, you know, APIs are kind of, you know, the, the to what extent APIs are the, the increase in the amount of APIs that are out there in the wild changes how we approach automation is probably a separate question. So I'll, yeah, and, I'll and, pause here. <laughs> and that's what I was going to transition to as well. Uh, Fatih, I'll give you an opportunity um, right now if you'd like to also you know, share your thoughts uh, on this on a similar question. And if not, I'll transition over to the question, you know, how do we see the industry evolving towards APIs in the CICD space? You know, how do we see also interoperability? Um, like what is the consequence of interoperability towards APIs? Um, and then also who will drive, who do we see driving this? Deepak, again, summarized it perfectly well, what's been happening in the ecosystem or within communities or within different industries. I think we, we as end users, like you can see Ericsson as end user, even though we have been contributing to CIC domain for years, I think it is crucial for us to, again, I don't want to repeat the same words again and again, but in order for us to be faster and more agile and bring new services and inventions to hands of our users, it is really crucial for the topics like interoperability or work on APIs. They are crucial. And as I'm sure you all you are you are all aware of this 5G happening era and everyone is talking about the new services that will be enabled by the introduction of 5G and all this disaggregation of the infrastructure pieces or all the operators getting different parts of their network from different type of companies, traditional versus startups. And given the explosion of these new inventions, it is inevitable for people, for companies, for communities, not to focus on interoperability. And it's not specific to CIC domain either. It's everywhere. All these different technologies must work together in a certain way so we can deliver what end users expect in much better way. And the other thing I want to highlight again, which again, we talk, we mentioned many times, without community engagement, it is impossible to achieve this because 
most of these inventions are happening in open communities, open source communities. And most of the new technologies are developed based on open source technologies. And without engaging within these open source communities, it is, again, it is not possible to dream even about these things. So to answer your question, who needs to sort this out? I think we all have responsibility to work in this domain and help push these things forward with any type of contributions we can make. Great. Thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll ask this question again. And then how do you see the industry evolving towards APIs in this space? Um, and Deepak, who do you believe will drive this? We already heard Fatih's um, perspective on this, which is, you know, community. What about you? Do you also believe community is a, an important play here? Yeah, I think the, you know, maybe I'll, I'll answer it in two parts. I think the first part is just to what extent, uh, what is the role that APIs kind of play? And is that different in kind of most IT shops than it was before. And one thing I've been increasingly fond of using as a framing device is, you know, abstractly, if I take a step back and I look at someone's infrastructure, um, anyone's infrastructure, doesn't matter what tools they use, doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter uh, the architectural patterns, right? That stuff has what I consider an automation surface area around it. Right. And that's the set of components that's involved in all the development, operations, all the security workflows around just your estate. So that surface area represents all the processes that tie all your stuff together and keep it all running. It's everything that you could automate in theory, is part of that surface area. And I think historically, the operating system uh, was like, that was the huge part of that surface area where a lot of workflows, um, a lot of ops workflows, a lot of CD and CI workflows tended to involve direct OS level interactions uh, across the infrastructure. So, you know, manipulating files, installing packages, user accounts, all, all that kind of stuff. And that's where I think, you know, config management tools uh, did a really good job um, because they can help wrangle that complexity of the OS. But I think uh, in the intervening years, I think technology and infrastructure and architectures have all changed, right? I think with things like microservices and cloud native tools, patterns around immutable infrastructure, uh, as well as this explosion of just uh, third-party services that you can easily incorporate into your own applications. Um, the operating system itself is now a much smaller percentage of the overall surface area, automation surface area, compared to uh, components and services that developers are now interacting with via these APIs. So I think you, you have to look at it from the standpoint of if apps are now increasingly dependent on this variety of APIs and services to work properly, uh, I mean, the status quo kind of sucks because every API is different. Connecting them together is super complicated. Uh, and a lot of these APIs consume or trigger events from other ones, right? This is especially, this is so maddening, I think, about a lot of the cloud native uh, ecosystem is that uh, so many of these things generate information that other tools consume, but they are all slightly different from each other, uh, which I think kind of increases a lot of the complexity involved. So, you know, and by, I, and I don't know that this is necessarily limited to people building bleeding edge greenfield stuff. I think if you're doing garden variety IT, you know, you're working in a real estate office or something like that. Um, 
you know, you're, you now have more tools that are part of your core workflow than probably were before. You're probably interacting with, I don't know, VMware to deploy, you know, the infrastructure or service now, and you're hitting a refresh on a ticket. Like those are all services that you have to interact with now. So I think how we automate things needs to lean into that really heavily, because I don't see that going away anytime soon. Um, so I, I think that's kind of a fundamental change in the landscape of automation that I see. Uh, and I think the challenge for, for those of us trying to approach it from CI and CD is I think in many ways this puts pressure and I think it, it, it exposes some of the limitations of the CI CD philosophy, right? In a lot of ways, like I talk to customers and a lot of the problems that they have dealing with infrastructure is stuff that's, it's day two and beyond, you know, after this app has been deployed, it's everything you have to deal with it until it's dead. And increasingly those app, you know, what is dead will never die. Those applications will continue to run probably forever. Um, so in, in that sense, I think CD has a bit of a challenge in that historically as a mentality, I think we've always said the way to deal with day two is just by redeploying. You know, just just redeploy. The answer to everything is just push another artifact out there. It's basically the answer to day two is repeat day one over and over and over and get really good at it and do it really quickly. Um, but I think that there's a huge uh, amount of the continuum of overall operations problems that don't fall super neatly into that model, um, especially around things like security, where it's more an emergent property of you've detected anomalous behavior. What do you do? Um, something looks weird. How do you respond to that? How do you contain costs in your infrastructure by lighting up or shutting down things? Could you do that through CD? Potentially. But I think it recontextualizes the value of an assembly line, right? And I think where historically that assembly line was primarily viewed through the lens of getting an artifact from source to being built, to being deployed. I think it's interesting to think about how to extend CD into handling stuff that's day two and beyond, beyond initial deploy or redeploy, you know, what does that look like? And I think there's a lot of opportunity where we can apply the same principles that we all know are good ideas. Um, the assembly line, the pipeline, workflows, uh, events, like those are great, great primitives, I think. And it, and I think it's incumbent upon us to start maybe broadening our horizons a little bit uh, around how do we apply that to, to more things. So I think, you know, we all probably on this call, everyone in the CDF, I think, has a really powerful role to play there, um, which is how easy do we make it for people to leverage the tools we already have or the content they've already built? And how can we make that more applicable uh, to, you know, kind of this emerging Wild West of all kinds of honestly pretty insanely complicated stuff. Uh, sometimes I look back very fondly at like the monoliths that everybody talks smack about from, you know, years ago. And I'm like, you know, having a single process running on like a couple of VMs. And now I look at like the CNCF landscape page and sometimes, you know, fills me with despair. But it's the world we're living with. Right. So how do we help people rein in that complexity? And, uh, you know, I think it's a war against complexity. And I think that's where that's it's how we fit in and how we fight that battle. Um, but, we, but I think it's on us. Yeah. What, what do you think would be some of these prerequisites uh, to be successful? 
Like, and I think that's a question yep. for Fatih and for Kara as well. Um, cause we, we understand that it's very, a very complex process, but so do you have an idea or do you have an opinion on what it would require? I- well, I have an opinion, <laughs> but, you know, I, and like most of my opinions, I'm biased. I also think I'm right, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think the, I, I think strategically in my mind, I think the battleground looking forward to me is going to be more about workflows than it is about how sophisticated the plumbing is underneath the workflows. And I'm not trying to say that from the standpoint of the plumbing doesn't matter. The plumbing obviously matters, but I think what the user is going to get value out of is what the plumbing enables. Kara, Fati, I don't know if you guys want to also put in your perspective on prerequisites to make this effort successful. Well, I just wanted to say I, I really agree with what GPAC was saying on the importance of uh, thinking about workflows for CI/CD and workflows for our end users, I like so much that within the CI/CD foundation we are working together. I mean, beyond just the interoperability stake, like the entire foundation, thinking about and collaborating on best practices. I think that idea of helping our users out by giving them the best workflows, the easiest to get started with, <clears throat> helping them do what they need to do and what they want to do, like that is that is exactly what you know we're all trying to do I know for Jenkins X a lot of it has been um, thinking about how can we help users with Kubernetes how can we help them ease their development workflow how can we help them have CI CD best practices built in and and a given opinionated workflow that is easy to navigate easy to get started with and and you know people can get developers can get up and running very quickly. Coming from a developer background, that was very attractive to me about the project. Um, and then I also totally agree with um, Fatih about the importance of community and the community involvement, including on the development of APIs, but just in general. I mean, for us as CI/CD tool builders, our community, our end users who make up our community basically are, are all developers and, you know, sysadmin, SREs. Like this is a fantastic community to have their engagement and their input and in how the tools develop. And for those that are contributing, they're often contributing what they need. So they will be picking up your tool, looking at it, certainly for Jig and Sex, and they'll think, well, my team at work, we need this functionality, we need this feature, can we contribute to that to the project? And that's so wonderful to work together like that. And I feel like so much innovation happens that way. And the project grows maybe in unexpected ways, but it's, it's like fantastic that people come together and collaborate and open source in this way. And I think we end up with much better, more robust solutions and much more innovative. I think it's one of the strengths of open source. Um, when, one thing, I, I put it in the article for the newsletter, but one of the things that I loved finding out about was that um, Tim Hawken, who's one of the co-founders of the Kubernetes project, he said on Twitter of all places, but, but <laughs> well, when they were thinking about CRDs, it just started out as a prototyping tool and that the Kubernetes API machinery was not intended to be a framework for extensibility, but that's actually how it evolved. And that evolved because of how the users and the community picked up these, these tools and, and developed it further. Very and I, interesting. I, <laughs> Thank you. Do you have anything else to add, Cara? No, no, that's fine. Thank you. Okay. 
So as uh, members of the SIG, what, what have you guys been working on and do you guys have any updates to share with the community? As you know, the SIG was approved mid-January and it's pretty young, like it's four months old. And as we touched the topic of integration versus interoperability, I think one of the things we started doing is to identify what interoperability means. And in order to do that, we have been having regular presentations from the projects or end users to discuss their use cases, the challenges they are having. So that is one of the things I think it's very well received by the SIG participants because we are sharing knowledge between each other and trying to come up with common understanding with regards to interoperability. The other thing I think this is also we like a lot because there is a lot of contribution to it. We uh, released or published the vocabulary which we call Rosetta Stone. And I want to thank Eric Sorenson from Puppet here because he came up with the uh, synonym or whatever it is. He calls it Rosetta Stone. And what we did was we put the terminology used by different CICD tools into one document and describe what those terms mean in that certain tool. And we create a mapping across different tools. So when the projects or users want to see what pipeline means in Jenkins versus what pipeline means in Spinnaker, they can go and take a look at that document. So that is, I see it as the first contribution this SIG made into domain. And the most recent work we start doing is the roadmap for the SIG. And I want to thank Tracy Miranda for driving that work because that is important for us to identify what areas we need to focus and what things we really need to do for real, because we have been talking last few months to get to know each other, get to know the domain. And now we believe it is time to start tackling with these challenges. So it is perfect time to join the SIG and contribute to the effort and bring up your challenges and use cases. And how, when do you guys meet? How would the community participate in the SIG? Uh, we have uh, the repository for the SIG under CD Foundation organization on GitHub. So everything goes through the GitHub repository. All the contributions are made there. And we also meet every second week on Thursdays, uh, 3 p.m. UTC. So that is another way to contribute, join the meeting, listen what people are discussing and contribute to those discussions and just join to Slack channel, which is under CD Foundation organization as well. Just say hi and introduce yourself. And I'm sure you will find very like-minded people in that channel as well. Great. Anything else from Deepak or Kara? No, I think it's it's really uh, the only thing I would add is it's it's just very encouraging. I think uh, you know just to see all the activity and honestly just the level of interest, either it directly in the SIG itself or in any of the surrounding projects that are just part of the CDF. Like for example, you know we've had a lot of really good conversations within the confines of like the Tecton project, working with them on hey, how can we um, extract kind of your definition of events that get emitted. You you know, during uh, step execution, like, is that something that we could make more generic and reusable across different contexts? And everyone seems very uh, 
welcoming. So I think the thing I love about the community, this particular one, is just how non-territorial everybody is, um, which I'm not sure maybe is something the outside world perhaps appreciates, given how many vendors there are kind of, uh, in, you know, as part of the CDF, often, you know, and oftentimes direct competitors. But I think it's okay. I think it's very indicative of like a level of uh, kind of maturity and common sense and just desire to genuinely solve users' problems that has led us to a place where I think everyone really is welcoming of those kinds of ideas. So I, I think it's it's very refreshing. Thank you. Kara? Just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. This has been really interesting and enjoyable. I think as we heard here, it's it's really a collective journey in order for us to be successful. So we appreciate your time and thank you to our panelists. <laughs> <laughs>